All right, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Is where we're going to begin this morning, around verse 8 or so. Go ahead and find that in your Bibles. There's a copy of God's Word in front of you in the seat pocket. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You're free to take that with you and either keep it or give it away as a gift or something like that. Heck, that can be your Christmas present to somebody this year. But anyway, so uh, Luke chapter uh, 2 is where we're going to be. We're continuing, as we said earlier, in this series called Advent. Uh, during this season of the year when so many things are on our mind and so many different uh, things and responsibilities that take our time and our attention, we want to tune our hearts and ask the Lord to uh, draw our affections toward Him as we look back at His coming and we look ahead to His coming. We're in the not yet. We're in the yes, Jesus has already come, but He's coming again and we're in that season of not yet has he returned to make everything right in the world. So this season is what we call Advent. Now, let me just point out some resources that are available to you that are incredibly helpful. Uh, online, and then as you leave this morning at the tables, there's a daily reading guide that we want to recommend to you so you can follow along in some key scriptures in your own time with the Lord. And then online, under our Advent resources, is a tremendous 25-day devotion. It walks through the 25 days of Advent, starts on December 1st. It's a little more in-depth, questions for you to dialogue with, scripture for you to dig down into. Great tool that I recommend to you, a personal study and for your family, but that's online. Uh, you can find that. And then finally, really quick, is uh, December or uh, Christmas Eve, we'll be gathering here at 5 p.m. at the Gray Campus. Uh, we've provided these little invite cards for you to put in the hands of your neighbors or the folks that you're praying for on your list of three or whatever, just to have a, a great night on Christmas Eve. We're going to share the message of the gospel, message of peace. You get to, uh, hopefully, uh, that will spur some conversations on that maybe people you bring with you that don't know Christ. So that'll be Christmas Eve, and we provided this resource for you. So you can check those things out as you leave this morning, okay? All right, peace. Peace. Now, when I say that word, I don't know what goes through your mind, or I don't know how you look back over your day already, or maybe the week you've experienced, or the last few weeks of your life, maybe, but does the word peace characterize the state of your soul today? And maybe there's those around you, and I say maybe, I know there are those around you that you have relationships with, again, where you live, where you work, where you play, that you know the last thing that they experience in their day-to-day -day lives is anything close to peace. Now, Scripture, the Word of God, and we're going to look at chapter 2, there is an incredible promise surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ of peace. And I want us to look at that this morning briefly and then talk about how that applies to us as a church family and the mission that God's given us and maybe you personally to wrestle this morning. If, if you're not experiencing that daily peace, why not? What does that mean for you personally? And what does that mean for us as a church family? So Luke chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 8. I'm going to read a few verses. Uh, this is one of those very familiar passages that we've all heard before probably. But I'm going to read down and focus on verse 14 at the end. So you can follow along. Verses will be on the screen. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible says this. In the same region, there were some shepherds. Now, really quick, in that day, shepherds were easily considered the dregs of society. 
They would be the lowest on the economic scale. They would be the ones that nobody wanted to be around. Uh, we have Christmas plays where we make the shepherds look presentable and, you know, kind of a clean, well-kept. Shepherds were grimy, dirty people. Nobody wanted to be around a shepherd. If you were a little boy, a little girl, and a shepherd came towards you, your parents would quickly put you on the camel or something to get you out of there because shepherds would just look down on in that society. So there is a marvelous picture of the grace of God that of all the men in society that the announcement of Jesus' birth could come to, it comes to shepherds. Marvelous picture of grace. So there were shepherds staying out in the fields doing what shepherds do. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were completely immersed in the glory of the Lord, of this presentation of of this angel They were overwhelmed with what they were seeing. And they were terribly frightened for multiple reasons. It's a horrifying thing. Again, the angelic beings you see on Christmas cards that maybe you see in the movies or whatever, this was a horrifying because of the dramatic power of this angel just blew these shepherds away. And again, the shepherds knew some type of visit from God for them was probably not a good thing because they knew how sinful they were. So they're fearful at this point. And this angel says to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I am bringing you, you shepherds of all the people, I am bringing you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. And the shepherds just had to be blown away. Okay, what's this all about? He said, okay, for unto you today in the city of David, Bethlehem, Most likely they are shepherding their flocks. This was common in this area somewhere between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Bethlehem and Jerusalem are fairly close to one another. So somewhere in that region, these shepherds are here by night. And they said, for unto you is born in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior. A Savior. Maybe, and I believe it's the case... God chose to announce the birth of the Savior to a group of shepherds because they realized they needed a Savior. He didn't go to the Pharisees. He didn't go to the religious leaders of that day. To these shepherds of all people and announces, hey, a Savior has been born. Who is Christ the Messiah, Christ the Lord? This will be a sign to you. You will go and you'll find this baby wrapped in cloths. He'll be lying in a manger. You say, how's that a sign? I don't know if you know, but a manger in that day was dirty and grimy. It was where the the animals were kept. Again, not the way you see it on TV. It was a nasty birth. So for a baby to be lying in the mess of a manger where animals were taken care of was uncommon. You'll find this baby lying where animals are taken care of. And oh, by the way, he's the Savior of the world. What? Doesn't quite go together. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. More angels, a bunch of them. They were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Here's your statement. 
and on earth, what? Peace. On earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And we have to read that and we have to scratch our heads and we have to say, if we're really honest at times, really? Really? If you look around the world or maybe you look at our own country or maybe you even look in your own heart, maybe peace is the last word you would use to describe the situation. 1945, an organization known as the United Nations was formed for the express purpose, and I quote, as the agency for achieving world peace and cooperation, unquote. Since that time, over 150 major conflicts have taken place, and over 100 million people have died as a casualty of war. According to the Institute for Economics and Peace, currently there are only 11 nations worldwide that are not involved in some type of conflict of one kind or another. In 2014, according to the United States statistics, 3 million Americans were victims of some type of violent crime. 50% of all Americans, it is reported today, are on some type of prescription drug. Many of those are on drugs for depression or anxiety, trying to combat the lack of peace within their soul. A recent movie that came out was entitled Batman vs. Superman, Even They Can't Get Along. That was a joke, y'all. Get that? If you have no idea what that's talking about, it's just, anyway. So common among all humans, we would have to say, is a longing for peace, maybe even the conversations about peace, but often living in a world without peace at all. So how in the world could the angel announce that tied into, as a part of the birth of Jesus, is a promise of peace? Now, the Bible talks a ton about the idea of peace. 400 references in Scripture to the idea of peace. Let me give you a few. Isaiah 9, 6, we read it last week. Predicting the birth of Jesus. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Psalm 29, 11 says, a promise. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Peace. Hebrews 13 says, Now to the God of peace. A descriptor of God himself is the God of peace. So help me understand, Mike. The Bible talks so much about peace. We don't see that peace in the world. We don't, for the most part, see that peace among men. And if we're real honest, sometimes we wrestle in our own souls with the absence of peace. What is it all about? Now, scripturally, most of the time when you see the word peace, especially in the Old Testament, it's the word shalom. Shalom. A group of us went to Israel recently, and that's at least one Hebrew word that we learned when we were there. It's a common greeting in the nation of Israel. But the word shalom, as it's used often in the Old Testament, means a whole lot more than just the absence of conflict. Peace is not merely 
that absence of conflict. Peace in Scripture means the presence and overall well-being. It's the idea of wholeness. It's the idea of flourishing. It's the idea of prosperity. In fact, that word in Israel came to mean, I'm wishing for you God's highest good for you. So the idea of peace, as it's used here, is the idea of God's best, God's highest good for you. Internally, the place of your soul, independent of external circumstances, there is a wholeness, there is a completeness, there is a restfulness, there is a peace. Now, that's one of those things we talk about, that's one of those things the Bible references, but man, sometimes... We're just talking about it and not experiencing it. So let me just ask this question, a couple questions, and then we're going to give you some practical handles and help on this this morning. Okay, Pastor Mike, so we all agree. I mean, we, we, we see the news. We, we live in this culture. We know the conflicts that exist. We, we know the absence of peace. So why is that? Why, for the most part, do we live in a world that talks a lot about peace, maybe longs a lot for peace, but man, there's an absence for peace for the, for the most part. Why is that? Let me just tell you, this is one of the places where as a believer, man, you should hold tightly to the Word of God because in our world today, the only answer you will find to explain why the world is in the shape it's in is from God's Word. Now, there's plenty of prognosticators, there's plenty of statisticians, there's plenty of theorists that say, well, the world is in the shape it's in because of lack of this, a lack of that, a lack of whatever. Scripture is very clear from the beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, why the world is in the shape that it's in. Genesis 3, you know, I won't take time to turn back there. Two chapters in your Bible, perfect peace. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Adam and Eve created in perfect relationship with God. They knew this well-being, this wholeness of soul. This thing that we long for. They had a right relationship with each other. There was right relationship with God. They had right relationship with the creation around them. There was peace. They chose to live independently. They chose to not trust the Word of God. They chose to go their own way. And that sin entered the human race. The peace was shattered. And Adam and Eve, not only was the peace shattered, they, became at, they, they were now at hostility with God. They were hostile towards God because of sin. And every child subsequently born from that point enters the world as one who is hostile toward God. Now, if you're a parent, you know our little babies are cute and sweet and all that, but you know there's something in them, man. they got this hostility built up within them. Just take their toys away from them. You know there's this hostility that's there. What is that ultimately? It is the fall. It is This situation and condition that every human being is born into of hostility with God. So you see that in the Garden of Eden. Okay, what are we going to do about that? Well, Genesis chapter 4 continues on. I'm going to read a couple verses from that. So Adam and Eve, they fell into sin. Then they have kids. They have Cain. and They have Abel. These two boys. And it says in verse 3 of chapter 4, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now stop right there. You've heard heard the story of Cain and Abel. You know what's going to happen. But that all started with Cain bringing this offering to the Lord. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? 
mean, there had to, be, had to be some sense in his soul that something was not right between him and the Lord. We can assume that his father Adam had taught him, hopefully, taught him about what happened, taught him even how to be right with the Lord because God had made things right with Adam. You can go back and read in Genesis 3, he had provided a covering for Adam. And now his son is born in the world and he's had to teach them there's something not right. Cain knows that and he brings this offering to the Lord as a symbol. Something's not right. There's hostility. There's not peace. Problem was, Cain brought whatever offering that Cain had chosen. Cain brought the offering he thought would be best. Chapter 4, verse 5 of Genesis says, But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. What does that mean? Is God just being mean? No. God, God is just. God is holy and God is righteous. And those who are hostile toward him, which is all of us, can't come to God on our own terms, only on his terms. And Cain is coming to him really out of his own works, uh, uh, what he had grown from the ground, uh, his best idea of what the offering needed to be. Abel, on the other hand, brought an, a, a, an offering of faith, an offering of blood, which was a picture of Jesus who was to come. Cain is a symbol of, well, I'll just come to God however I choose, of my own method or my own way. And God had no regard for his offering, and he, verse 5, Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. He doesn't have peace within because he has no peace with God. And the Lord said to Cain, verse 6, why are you angry, Cain? Now God knows what's going on. Why are you angry, Cain, and why is your countenance fallen? And the reason was there was no peace within, there was no peace with God. And then you know the result, verse 8, Cain told, his, uh, told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were out in the field, out goofing around in the field, out playing as boys, I don't know how old they are here, they're out in the field, this hostility that has not been appeased, this peace that's not there, spills over now into his relationship with his brother. And it says, Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and he killed him. Okay, Pastor Mike, what does that have to do with our situation today? The picture of Cain and Abel, are a picture, it's a picture of the world you live in today. See, every hostility, every conflict is traced back ultimately to hostility that men and women are born into this world with against God. God has made a way for there to be peace. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if we don't, if we don't know that peace with God, we don't know that peace of God, we're not going to know peace with others. And the world lies in that situation today. John MacArthur said it this way, The great enemy of peace is sin. Sin separates man from God and causes disharmony and enmity with him. Man's lack of harmony with God causes his lack of harmony with each other. So when you're watching the news or you're reading the newspaper or you're in a conflict or you're trying to figure out where is this lack of peace, ultimately it can be traced back to men, man, mankind is born into the world hostile with God. Listen. That ought to awaken our souls as the people of God. You and I and the church alone have the message of peace for the world. We're it. 
And you got to understand, no matter what people group, we talked about that a few weeks ago, no matter what corner of the world, deep inside every human being, there is a longing for peace. And they're trying to find where can I find that peace. You as a believer, as a child of God, we alone have that message of peace. We're it. That's God's plan. So you see, the world is in the shape it is in because of this brokenness and this hostility between man and God. Now, fast forward a few thousand years back to Luke chapter 2. So in the midst of this broken, fallen world to these shepherds, here's this radical announcement of peace. And these shepherds, like you and I, have to be scratching their heads and have to go, okay, I'm looking at the world. There's no peace in Israel because we're under the oppression of Rome. There's no peace in the religion of Judaism of that day because it was nothing but legalism. There was no peace in their own heart. They knew of their own wickedness. How can you be talking about a message of peace? And that's where I want to finish our time this morning quickly for you and give you three truths that come out of this whole picture of peace. And let me say this. Child of God, I hope this is encouraging and challenging to you this morning. And I hope it is a a resource on your belt that you can take because you are going to be, I can almost assure you, you're going to be in a conversation between now and Christmas where someone's life is not characterized by peace. Can you help them? Can you carry what Ephesians 6 calls the gospel of peace? To them, I'm going to do everything I can to help you this morning. As we talk about living personal evangelism and going out, I hope to give you a tool this morning that you can carry with you. And pray God gives you open doors this Christmas season to share the message of peace with those around you. Okay? All right, here we go. Truth number one is this. I'm going to give you three of them. What does all this mean? Number one, only through Jesus can we know peace with God. Only through Jesus can we or can any human being know peace with God. Now, remember the whole offering thing with Cain. Cain sensed. He knew there was something not right in his heart. He understood there needs to be an offering because something's not right here between the Lord and me. God, throughout history, continued to teach that concept to his people. Moses began to teach this to the children of Israel. If you're going to come into the presence of the Lord, there must be an offering. Now... No offering that the children of Israel ever brought take away a single sin. No offering could ever make them right with God. It was a reminder of the hostility, and it was a, what's this, a picture of what was to come. So throughout the history of Israel, just like Cain, you read through the Old Testament, there's these series of offerings. Maybe you've read them before, and you say, what is this all about? Let me read one of you. Leviticus chapter 3, verse 1. Because nothing says Christmas like the book of Leviticus, right? All of you have it on your Christmas cards. I know. Leviticus chapter 3, verse 1. Stay with me. This is going to come together. Moses, teaching the children of Israel, says, Now, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offerings. In other words, in that day, there was a specific offering that the people of Israel were to bring to the Lord. One of them was called a peace offering. And the peace offering says, if he is going to offer out of his herd, it was to involve blood from an animal, from the herd, from the, remember this, flocks. It was to involve an animal, whether male or female, he shall offer it without defect to the Lord. A perfect, unblemished sacrifice is to be brought 
throughout their generations, the children of Israel did that. They would enter the temple. They would enter the tabernacle. They would enter the presence of the Lord. There were these offerings. One of them was a peace offering. Go ahead. Judges 21 says this. And I'll just read these to you. You don't have time to look these up. It came about the next day that the people of Israel rose early, built an altar there, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Judges 21. 1 Chronicles 21, many years later, King David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So on and on throughout the generations. Fathers taught their sons. Parents taught their children. Listen, there's a hostility between you and God. You must bring this offering as a symbol of the hostility and as a picture of what is to come. Some of them understood that. Some of them didn't. And then you get to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah the prophet speaking to the people of Israel, the picture that has been painted for thousands of years becomes even more crystal clear as the prophet announces there is one coming. There is one coming. Isaiah chapter 53 says this, Surely he, now it's a single male figure that is going to be the offering, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Now listen. It's speaking as if it's in the past, but it's predicting the Christ who is to come. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now listen to this. The NIV translates it very well and says it this way. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. That is so for thousands of years, this offering had been brought. One from the, the, the flock was brought. And now Isaiah is even more crystal clear and said, There's one coming, and he will be pierced. He will be bruised. And the peace that you long for, the peace with God, and the peace in your soul that you long for is only made possible through him. And then you get to Luke chapter 2 and this announcement, now get this, hang with me. This announcement comes to this group of shepherds who were tending their flocks. Why was the business of shepherding profitable in the nation of Israel? Why were they tending flocks? Because there was a high demand near Jerusalem for sheep. The high demand was they would come and buy the sheep because they needed a sheep for their offering. Maybe the shepherds understood the idea of an offering as good as anybody because they had spent their life in the midst of dirty, nasty sheep. And now the announcement is this. Hey, one is coming and there will be no more need for the picture or the symbol. The reality is coming. And oh, by the way, you'll find the baby in a manger, in a filthy, skanky manger. And he's the Savior of the world. And the shepherds got it. And they went and saw the Christ child. And they rejoiced. And the end or the middle of chapter 2 says the shepherds came back and they were rejoicing and celebrating. And all they could do is talk about what they had seen. Because it blew them away. Do we get that? The peace that we do not have of ourselves with God is made possible only through the person and the work of King Jesus Christ. 
own. And I pray that is a, a moment and a point of rejoicing for you. I pray that as you sing and as you spend time with God and as you worship and as you pursue Him, you realize, I am hostile to you apart from Christ, but in Christ, in Christ there is peace with God. Paul got it. Colossians chapter 1 says, Now in Him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him, Christ, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of his cross. Beautiful. Paul got it in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. He says, speaking to believers, he says, Therefore, having been justified, pronounced right, pronounced clean, pronounced whole, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So that ought to be a, Something ought to rise up within us of a moment of rejoicing. Apart from Christ, you were an enemy of God, under the wrath of God. But in Christ, there is complete peace and wellness and well-being and wholeness, all the good of God upon you. And you and you alone and we and we alone as the people of God have that message of peace for the world. And let me bring it even closer to home. Those who are in the cubicle next to you are in your classroom or who live next door and you know their life is anything but full of peace because they are hostile to God. Say, well, they're religious. They go to church. They do all the right things. But you know they don't know Christ and you hold this message of peace. The shepherds got it, and the end of the chapter says they went back and they could not stop talking about what they'd seen and heard. To us comes the message of peace. We have the message of peace, and we're going to carry the message of peace everywhere we go. So that's number one. The next two aren't as long. Only through Jesus Christ can we know peace with God. Now, secondly, let me give you two more really quick. Secondly is this. Only through Jesus can we experience the peace of God peace of God and there's some promises in scripture that if you were real honest you read them and you scratch your head and you go God I get that I know your word is absolutely true but I just don't experience this on a day-to-day -day basis Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 you don't have to look it up be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God how many of you would say my week this past week was characterized by absolutely zero anxiety anybody or you would say, my week is absolutely characterized by this overwhelming sense of peace, the peace of God. It can be. Listen, King Jesus made one of the most marvelous promises in all of Scripture in John chapter 14, verse 27. Listen to what he says, John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. What does that mean, Jesus? Does that mean just absence of hostility? No, 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 no. Much more. Listen, my peace I give to you. In other words, the very peace that was experienced by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he is entrusting and giving to you. He says, not as the world gives, and that ought to be a, 
That ought to be a, a sign or something that goes off in our head. I'm not going to find it in the world only through the person of Christ in my daily walk with Him and my daily pursuit of Him, child of God. He's promising a peace you will not find in the world. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Man, you claim that promise. Wake up in the morning and have that verse next to you. Pursue that promise. You say, okay, how though? Jesus made another promise. He said this in, in John 16, 33. He said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In other words, one of the gifts of the Word of God is that God has revealed Himself. He has given us the gift of this book, and it is full of the promises of God that are yours in Christ Jesus. That is why we are pleading with you. One of the things we want for you, one of the things I want for me, my family, for you, is that this book, you are buried in the truths of this book. And you're claiming the promises of this book. And the Spirit of God within you takes these and presses them into your life and into your soul and enables you to obey and live these things out. And Jesus said, these things I have written for you so that you can have peace. It's one of the reasons we put together the devotional guide that we put together. It's online. If you don't know where to start, you don't know where to begin, you're not, you're not in God's Word, say it's just kind of drifting. There is a great tool at your disposal with a click on our website, day-by-day study that you can walk through God's Word and walk in this incredible promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. So only through Jesus do we know peace with God. Only through Jesus do we know the peace of God. And third one, and we're finished. All right, so Pastor Mike, what about the rest of the world? is (laughs) Is there a day that the world is going to be made right and there is going to be peace in the world? Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 says this, And he, Jesus, will judge between the nations, and he will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11 says, verse 4, But with righteousness he, he's going to judge the needy, With justice, he will give decisions. Is there a day that the world's going to operate under perfect justice? you got to look at the world and say, this is unjust. That's not just. That's not fair. That's not right. It won't be. But there will be a day when justice will rule upon the earth again. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Those that do not know him will be slain. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf with the lion. The cow will feed with the bear. And maybe one of my most disconcerting verses in Scripture, verse 8, and the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand in the viper's nest. Wow. That's a tough one to swallow. The point is, listen, beloved, when you watch the news and you hear about the conflicts and you hear about the mess that the world is in, it should create a stirring in your heart and a longing that the Bible says is good. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, and make it all right. Come, Lord Jesus, and make it all right. Advent is the season to look back and rejoice in all that's been accomplished by the coming of Christ. Peace. Peace with God is now possible for you. Daily, the peace of God is now a reality. One day, one day, the entire world will know the peace 
of the Prince of Peace when he comes and makes everything right. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, in the meantime, I'm going to ask the team to come on up and just to begin to play. We're going to move into our time of Lord's Supper in just a minute. And I want you to listen really carefully. In the meantime, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. You're a peacemaker. I'm a peacemaker. What does that mean? We negotiate? Well, that, that's not what that means. It, it means you now and you alone as the people of God, and I said this earlier, you alone have the message of peace. You're it. Ephesians 6, shod your feet with the gospel, the gospel of peace. I pray that there's this stirring within us this morning of worship for all that's been accomplished in Christ. Yes, there's peace in Christ. But I pray this Christmas season when you are in those conversations and you are hearing those stories and you know those people, maybe they're on your list, maybe you've been praying for them, your heart just grieves, but at the same time your heart leaps out of your chest and says, I have the message of peace. I've got to take it to them. I have got to take it to them. I pray that's who we are as a church, that we carry the message of peace that we as the people of God alone have to those where we live and work and play for the glory of King Jesus. Would you bow your head for just a minute? Pastor Paul's going to come and lead us through the Lord's Supper this morning. As he does, I want to invite you just to wrestle there in your heart. Do you personally, you, have peace with because you have placed faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. You, as a child of God this morning, you know Christ, but man, there's just no daily peace. It's, it's more struggle and it's more just this dread and fear and anxiety. Is that you? There's a promise of peace this morning. Are you living as a peacemaker? Does your heart break? For those around you who simply have no peace because they have no God in their life. We're going to continue and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper as Pastor Paul leads us.